You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit tvcresources.net. Hi, church. My name is Madi, and I serve in the recovery ministry on Wednesdays. I'm, the scripture today is Matthew 7, 24, 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been found on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Marty. Good morning, church. All right. My name is Nick Crawford. Uh, and I just got to say, man, it is good to be with you this morning. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm, and I'm new. I moved my family from Jackson, Mississippi back in March. Actually, I, I came a little early. I came in March. They followed me back in April, so a month apart. Uh, some back and forth. And I got to tell you, that, that was an experience for us, moving across state lines. I mean, we, we'd moved across town before, but we'd never done the whole Mississippi to Texas thing. That was an experience for us. And I can tell you, we learned a few things. One thing we learned is you can really underestimate how much stuff you have. <laughs> and you have to box it up and bag it up and put it in a trailer and then haul the covered wagon west. Like, go west, young man. We did that. It was an experience for us. Had a lot of stuff. We brought a lot of stuff, books, boxes, Bibles, see if I can think of another B, beds, you know, <laughs> plates, silverware, the whole deal, stuffed animals, good grief, we had some stuffed animals, tools, yard equipment, sports gear, and clothes, boxes and boxes of wardrobe boxes of clothes. And I got I to be honest with you, I didn't think I had that many clothes. I tend to stick to the same kind of rotation kind of wear the same general uniform. So I didn't think I had a lot of clothes, but I brought a closet full of clothes. So even though I brought a lot of clothes with me, here's one thing I did not bring with me, style. (laughs) Don't have any style in Mississippi, couldn't bring it to Texas. And and I'm telling you what, you Texans, man, you got your own kind of style. And I'm like navigating us all at once and it's just, I'm out of my league, it's over my head, I need some help. And so my friends and my wife, they got together. They got together to get me some help and I'm grateful. They got me some help. I got a friend named Carly King. She's a consultant. And she helps people build a wardrobe of clothes based on this like right color scheme that works for them. And then, and then clothes that fit you based on your own personal, customizable style profile. It's pretty cool. She has a process. She'll work you through. And she starts with a series of questions. First question she'll ask you is, hey, Nick, what, what color clothes do you like to wear? So, I don't know. Blue. Yeah. Blue jeans, blue shirt, I don't know. I'm telling you, I'm kind of a lost cause with this stuff. Then she'll, then she'll move you towards what she calls a style assessment. Now, this is neat. This assessment thing is neat. She'll, she'll help you build your closet based on the architecture and structure of the way that God himself built you. It is magic. And I had a lot of fun with this. Got to do this with some buddies. You, 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 get, a, you get an appointment and you do some homework and then you actually go to her and you bring some clothes. She tells you to bring some clothes you like and some clothes you don't like. So that's what I did. 
I brought some clothes that I really, really like. I feel they're, they're comfortable clothes. I feel good in them, whatever. Then I bring some clothes that I, that I don't too much care for, you know, too, too baggy, too long, too 1990s, whatever. And, and, and you tell her kind of why. You tell her why. And so we're doing this, and, and I save the best for last. This is my go-to piece of clothing, my, my number one article of clothing. I love this thing. I've built my entire closet around this one foundational piece of clothing. Now, I'm telling you, if the house is on fire, I'm going to get Kristen and the kids safe, and I'm going to go back in, and I'm going to get that piece. I love this jacket. It's rugged. You know, it's manly. It's just awesome. It's my Indiana Jones leather jacket. Yeah. It's the real deal, too. It came with a certificate of authenticity. I love this thing. So I pull out my indie jacket with confidence, and I say, here it is. This is the piece I love. And I got to tell you, I, I didn't really read Carly's face too well right off the bat. I was expecting this, you know, and I just got like a little smirk, you know, like pity. <laughs> I could tell she was trying to figure out how to let me down nicely. She says, Nick, it's brown. I said, yeah, I know. It's my, it's my leather Indiana Jones jacket. But your color's black, Nick. Oh, okay. Well, what about my brown leather belt? What about my brown boots? No, no, sorry, Nick. They don't work for you. They don't work for you. Look, I built my whole look. I built my whole entire appearance on this foundational Indiana Jones jacket. I built my look on the wrong foundation. It's kind of a punch in the gut. I got to start all over. It's got me wondering. If I don't even know how to build a look that lasts, how in the world am I going to build a life that lasts? We are in a series called The Parables of Jesus. Mason King, better known as Carly's husband, kicked us off last week with, <laughs> I hope he's listening, <laughs> with, the, with the purpose of the parables from the parable of the sowers. He did a wonderful job. If you missed it, please go back and listen to it. You will be blessed in your hearing. Ma Mason told us that parables are the primary way that Jesus taught us about the kingdom of God and what it actually looks like. But like my wardrobe, Appearances can indeed be deceiving. Parables are invitations to help us see reality the way God sees reality. So the best big question today, the big question for us today is, how do we build a life that lasts? Now there's a ton of information out there, lots of info that we can take in and consume that tells you how to build a life that lasts. And some of it's good, you need to eat right. You need to drink eight cups of water a day. You need to exercise. You need to get eight hours of sleep a night. Anybody get that? Anybody? Not me. I'm telling you. You got to get your wellness checks. You got to take care of yourself. Now, my favorite tennis player of all time is Roger Federer. If you watched ESPN or the news, you knew that he retired last week. He's 41. He's not 21 in this anymore. His knees will no longer allow him to compete at the level that he used to could. That's a Mississippi word for y'all. So we got to look down the field too, y'all. When our bodies won't allow us to work like we used to could, we need to be sure that we'll have enough when we can't do the things we used to could. Need to do some thoughtful life and estate planning. Need to be a good steward of our resources so we'll have enough for the future, right? These are all good things. Heed these things. Do these things. They are good things for us to hear. They teach us how to build a conventional life that will last. But Jesus asks us, what good is it if we hear all this stuff 
and don't do anything with it. Jesus draws a line in the sand in this parable. You must hear what he says and do it. You must put it into practice. So how do we build a life that lasts? By putting his word into practice. We're going to be in Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27 today. This is the conclusion, the very end of the greatest sermon of all time, the Sermon on the Mount. It's also featured in Luke's gospel, and both Matthew and Luke select it for a special place of prominence at the tail end of Jesus' great sermon on the Mount. And they do this for a reason, to give it emphasis. They do this to emphasize the active participation of the disciple in the life of following Jesus. There's an active verb that courses through the Sermon on the Mount, permeates the Sermon on the Mount. It's poieo. means to do, to make, to produce, to establish, to put into practice. This word undergirds a great theme in the great sermon, and here it is. It's not enough to hear Jesus' teaching. In the end, you got to obey his teaching by putting it into practice. Jesus drives this point home with a flush nail that comes to his hearers in the form of a parable about foundations and the fate of the structures that are built upon them. And here are the structural elements of this parable. You got two builders, you got two foundations, and you got one one trial. Two builders, two foundations, one trial. The two builders, on the surface, these guys actually have a whole lot in common. Both of them heard the words of Jesus. Both of them appreciated the need for shelter from the storm. Both had some apparent skill in in construction and architecture. Both these guys actually got the job done. They finished the job. Both of them did. Up to this point, both of these guys look a lot alike, but they couldn't be more far apart. The difference was in their doing. One heard the word and did it. He poieoed the word. The other one just heard it. Jesus calls one wise, calls the other foolish. The wise man, wise is phronomos, means thoughtful. Now, foolish is moros, kind of sounds like our word for moron. Even though Jesus is speaking in a parable here, his audience featured both kinds of these people. There were phronomos men there, phronomos people, and there were moros people there. You see, the great sermon was delivered to the disciples, but it was given in the hearing of his followers. It was given in the hearing of the people. Those who heard the great sermon followed him into the wilderness. They followed him up on the plain, up on the mount. They followed him. So these are the people who think they're in. Jesus, is con- he's not contrasting good and evil, though. That's key. He's talking to the people who think they're in, but he's not contrasting good and evil. He's actually contrasting thoughtfulness with foolishness to underscore his point. It's not enough to hear it only. You have to obey his teaching by putting it into practice. And that is what the wise builder represents here. He demonstrates a life of discipleship by putting Jesus's words into practice. But the foolish builder, he just heard Jesus talk and he led a shallow life. It all comes down to doing what Jesus teaches. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said it like this in James 1, verse 22. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And then he goes on a few verses later in verse 25 to say this. Don't be a hearer who forgets, 
but be a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. He will be blessed in his poieo. Putting Jesus' words into practice really, really matters. The other day I was in the front yard giving my son some baseball lessons. We were taking some batting practice in the front yard, and my little girl, my daughter, was running around. She wanted to get a, she wanted to get a few at-bats. So she's like, Daddy, can I hit? Can I hit? I said, hey, yeah, sure, wait your turn. When it got to be her turn, it was so cool for me to watch because when she's up there at bat, my son actually starts coaching her with some of the same pointers that I've been coaching him with. He's like, okay, got to line your knuckles up. You got to point your feet straight. But as you can probably imagine, she didn't like his coaching too much. <laughs> she did not appreciate him telling her what to do. So she gives him an eye roll. I know how to point my feet straight. But my son, to his credit, he's a good coach. He's a good coach. To his credit, he says this. I know you do, but you got to put these things into practice. <laughs> my boy's preaching this sermon. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? We get this. Kids get this. There are things we absolutely know how to do, yet we still have to practice them. But we can downplay our practice like the prophet Allen Iverson. Practice? Let me talk about practice, man. Practice. Church, practice is a big deal. Putting Jesus' word into practice is a huge deal. You see, those who respond to Jesus' teaching with obedience are actually laying a foundation today that will stand and build a spiritual house that will last tomorrow. Now to the two foundations. What's being built on the two foundations? What do we see here that's being built here? These are houses. The parable of the two builders is, is, is a parable about two home builders. But here's the deal. Jesus is actually silent about the building material. He doesn't say if, if the house is built with straw, sticks, or bricks. We're not talking about the three little pigs here. He also does not tell us what's built around them. We don't know if there's a levee or a moat. Now, I'm from the Mississippi Delta. I grew up eight miles from the Mississippi River, and the levee is a really big deal. See, the Mississippi River rises. When the, when the snow in Minnesota melts, it comes down the river. It rises the levee to a level that, that threatens the society that's built and, and, and grows around the levee. So that levee's a big deal. We don't see a levee. We don't see a moat in this parable. We don't see anything specific that keeps the water at bay or keeps the water away. The point is not the suitability, suitability of the building. The point is not what we build around the structure, but the, but the point here is the assurance of its foundation. Now here, this, this, this house, we're building, we're building a house here, and the house symbolizes life as a whole. This was more literal than a metaphor to Jesus' original hearers. You see, life was where life, the house was where life happened, and his, his, his hearers would have gotten this point loud and clear. The house was multi-generational back then. When you get married, you tend to build on to your father's house. Houses were not commodities either. They were not meant to be bought and sold. You lived in your house. And there was an economic component to the home too. You did your business out of the house. Jesus uses this image of the house to symbolize all of your life. And he does this to build a case. What you build your life on matters. It really, really matters. And so the great teacher... He contrasts two foundations here, rock and sand. While Jesus is silent about the appearance of the houses, there is one apparent difference about the two. One of the houses was built a lot quicker than the other. You see, the wise man did a lot more work below the surface 
underground. He did some digging. God does indeed see in secret. He did the work that was out of sight, that you couldn't see by the naked eye. The rock, these are the foundational words of Jesus. That's what this represents here. The disciples who build their life on the bedrock of Jesus' teaching are truly wise, regardless of all the culture that shifts around you. The wise builder built his house on a sure foundation. Check out verse 24 with me. Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. These words of mine. Now, Jesus is talking immediately to the Sermon on the Mount, but he's including all of his commands, all of his teachings. Then there's the sand. The sand, it's shifty. It is no foundation. It is an absence of truth. The fool, that's where the foolish builder built his, hand, his house, on the sand, without a foundation. Let's look at verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Back to the foolish man, the moros man. I mean, cut him a little slack, okay? Cut him a little slack. He would have built his house in the summertime when the conditions were more dry and more suitable for construction projects. He would have known that the rains are gonna come in the wintertime, so he's trying to get ahead of this a little bit. He's, He's being smart. And the ground is largely clay, which gets really, really hard in the absence of water. We, we know this. In those 50-something days this past summer without rain, man, I don't know about you, but my front yard was like a parking lot. It gets really, really hard. We know this. I mean, the Moros man did hear the word of God. He did. He heard the very words of God. So he's got to be thinking, you know, the ground does seem hard. Seems pretty hard. It, it sure is hot out there. I'm sweating it out in the hot sun. This work is tough. It's laborious. So I'm just going to build on this hard surface. Surely that'll be good enough. Jesus says, no, no. No, no. It's not enough to hear only. You got to dig a little bit deeper. You got to build on the rock. Jesus says, you got to put my words into practice. The Moros man finished the job. He finished the house. He got the job done. Give him a little bit of credit. He just built his house on the sand. The winter rains came. The clay underneath his house begins to settle. Some cracks form in the walls. Soon a buckle, then a bulge, and then the whole thing gives way. And great was the fall of it. Every year, people flock to visit the Leaning Tower of Pisa. I didn't know this, but the tower was actually leaning before they finished the job. It was leaning before they completed the structure. And now it's, it's 17 feet out of plumb. The reason it's leaning is, is because it's built on a faulty foundation that's only 10 feet deep, woefully in, insufficient for, some, for, a, for a structure, for a tower that's like 14,500 tons. Now, to save the building from falling, some architects and engineers got together and they did a lot of foundation work to stabilize it. And it took them 11 years. They closed down the whole exhibit. You could not go in the exhibit for 11 years. Now, apparently they did a pretty good job because reports say that it does not move that much anymore, something like 1 20th of an inch per year. Regardless, they had to do a lot of work to save it from a mighty crash. We know this. The foundation matters a ton. Jesus draws a line in the sand right here, leaving his hearers with a simple choice to hear and ignore him or 
to build on a foundation and practice what he says. Life matters. Your life matters. The ones who follow Jesus in discipleship can count on the completely sufficient foundation of their house. But here's the scary thing. Here's the scary thing. You can't tell those who really practice Jesus' teachings in the short term. It takes a little bit of time, and it takes a trial. You see, the trial and the parable is common to both the wise man and the foolish man. The storm hit both of their houses. Faith in Jesus doesn't promise that the storm won't come. Rather, faith in Jesus promises that the house that's built on his foundation will withstand the storm. Church, your house is going to be tested. It's not if, but when. I'm here to encourage you. It's coming, though. It's coming. In matters of faithful discipleship, appearances can indeed be deceiving. The inherent strength or instability of the two houses remained hidden until they were tested by the trial. You see, the wise builder's house remained standing when that flood came. Look at verse 25 with me. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. But the foolish builder's house, his house crashed. His house came tumbling down when the flood came. Look at verse 27. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Church, true character is revealed in crisis. We got two followers of Jesus here. Both build themselves a house with no apparent difference from the outside. But the trial revealed that one had built his house on the rock while the other had built his house on the sand. When we moved into our house, when Chris and I moved into our house, we're still boxed up, packed up, still sleeping on the floor. And one night I went in to go tuck my little daughter into bed. I go in, tuck her in, kiss her on the head, tell her I love her. And before I could get out of the door, before I could close the door behind me, she yells at me, come back in, dad, come back in. I'm feeling like she's doing that stall thing that all kids do. But I just go back in, check on her. She starts pointing at a little spot on the floor. And it's a puddle of water. I'm like, how? I, how did she spill something this fast? As I'm thinking that, my eyes follow the puddle to the wall, out the door, down the hall, and into the bathroom. And then it hits me loud and clear like a two-by-four to the face. We got ourselves a big problem. So I shut off the water, and we get a plumber out the very next day. The plumber got inside our wall. Turns out there is a pipe. They've been dripping inside the wall that we couldn't see. Just pitter-patter, pitter-patter, pitter-patter until that pipe burst and flooded the back house, back half of our, of our house. We hadn't even moved in yet, and they're talking about moving us out for four to six weeks into a hotel. This was an ordeal. They're telling us we've got to replace all the floors in our house. We still got boxes that we're walking around. It was an ordeal. But Kristen, my wife, she's a champ. She was so eager to set up her new house here in Texas. But she just took this thing in stride. She was unshaken and she was unfettered. And she actually figured out a way for us to replace a fraction of the floor. And we didn't have to replace all the floors. So we didn't even have to move out. Praise God. Had some good neighbors that took care of us too. Man, it was good. But she was awesome. We had an issue with the bones of our home. Something hidden that was revealed in a trial. And that trial revealed something else too, a bigger deal. 
That trial revealed that Kristen's house is actually built on the rock. Church, if we build on anything other than the rock of Jesus Christ, the structure will let you down when you need it the most. The foolish man's house fell in the storm right when he was counting on it for shelter. So, how do you build a life that lasts? By practicing what Jesus says. Do so when you're wise. Don't do, and Jesus says you're foolish. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us who's who in the parable. He lets his hearers find themselves in the story. So where do you find yourself? You're wise? You're foolish? Maybe somewhere in the middle? Now, we're all builders. Each and every one of us is building a house. The hard thing is we only get one house. We have but one life to live. So where do you find yourself in the story? We can only build a life that lasts on one foundation. You can be skilled in the architecture and construction of the, strip, of the scriptures, and yet one of us could be wise and the other foolish. Happy is the doer. Knowledge alone puffs up, but love builds up, and love is active in its doing. We teach our children this in LV and, and Kids Village. We teach them this, that the foundation of our faith is to know, love, and trust Jesus. And from that foundation, we obey him. Know, love, trust Jesus, and from that foundation, we obey Jesus. So what's the fruit of your life re reveal about the obedience of your heart? Does your obedience to Jesus indicate that you are a wise builder or a foolish one? Jesus ends the greatest sermon of all time with a sober warning that should invoke some fear of God in us. It should cause us to take a look at our lives and see our true condition. This is going to take a little bit of digging, though. It's going to take a little bit of digging. Remember, the wise man, he did a lot more work below the surface. This is the kind of hard labor, the blood, sweat, and tears kind of labor that will wear you out and give you very little to show for your effort. But the difference will show up in time. This house is going to cost more to build, but it'll be worth that cost. You see, the foolish man will show cracks in the walls when the weight of the trials of life begin to settle on him. So, it's really wise to examine the condition of your heart and do some of that below-the-surface analysis. But how, you say? How, how can I tell what's going on in my heart? How can I tell what's going on in here? Here's the deal. What's in here shows up out there. Like the cracks in the wall that show up when the foundation begins to settle, you can tell what's going on below the surface by what you see above the surface. So where are the cracks in your life? How big are they? How many are they? How often do they show up? Can you see daylight through them? Time to check in. Do a little foundation work. What about the storm? When it comes, not if, but when, what will be left standing? When reflecting on this very parable, the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, believed that the rain, the flood, and the wind represented different sources of trial. He said that the rain was a trial from heaven. There are trials that God gives to test and refine his people, to make you more precious. Praise God for these. Look at James 1. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Spurgeon said that the flood, though, is a trial from the world. Look, the world doesn't love the church any more today than it did yesterday, and certainly not any more than it did in Jesus' day. 
Can you stand firm in the face of slander and reproach for Jesus? Not unless you are rooted and grounded in the truth of who you are in Jesus Christ. Check out Matthew 5. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Then there's the wind. Spurgeon thought that this trial was from the enemy, from the prince of the power of the air. The Apostle Paul mentions the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2, saying, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But Paul goes on. Let's read Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is, not, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are the Father's architecture. Church, you are his workmanship. You are his great house. And it's not our works that build the great house. You see, the works are just the fruit of the wise heart that loves to obey Jesus. The works are just evidence, proof that a sure foundation actually exists. It is the foundational work of Jesus Christ on which we build and from which we build up. So how are you building? How are you building? Jesus sends the great sermon. Not with a rah-rah, pound-the-chest the moment. Not some moment of inspiration that we expect in a great preacher. No, he does not do that. He drops the mic with this. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Isn't that just like him? To do the unexpected. He ends the greatest sermon of all time with a mega-negative as if to say, you have my words, what will you do with them? Church, the way to build a life that lasts is to practice what Jesus says. So when's practice at your house? What are the present rhythms that exist in your life that allow you to hear God's word and then go do it? To poyeo it, to put it into practice. You see, the foundations of the structures which endure in the world to come they're laid in the present. Do you have time to hear and respond to Jesus daily? So what? What would it look like if each of us carved out time to hear and practice the very words of Jesus? What would it look like if we all built our house on a sure foundation? Well, I'll tell you something it wouldn't look like. You wouldn't waste your time like I wasted my time building a wardrobe on an Indiana Jones leather jacket, right? <laughs> Jesus is the only foundation piece, sure enough and worthy enough, to build a life. Amen. So as our team, as our band comes back up, Jesus' parable 
of the two builders is actually linked to another parable that we see in Isaiah 28, verses 14 to 18. Isaiah, he's writing to a nation that's facing imminent invasion. You see, the Assyrian army was on the move, and they were headed right to Israel. So Israel's leadership formed an alliance with Israel, with Egypt, I'm sorry. And they felt confident that the Egyptian army would show up and save them when the Assyrians came knocking on their door. Now, Isaiah, he thought that alliance with Egypt was a joke, thought it was worthless. So he wrote this parable as a stinging rebuke. But along with that rebuke, he projected a hopeful future. You see, we read this. There's one building in his parable that's built, but it's doomed to fall. But the other building is actually a future promise. Check out Isaiah 28, verse 16. We'll read. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. And so Jesus gives the parable of the two builders to show that he is the fulfillment of Isaiah's future promise. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus says to hear and to do my words is to build on the foundation that Isaiah promised. Jesus was saying, I am the sure foundation stone. Build on me and my words and you will not be shaken. And don't forget Peter, the apostle who made the good confession and heard Jesus say this, upon this rock I will build my church. Peter knew the foundation. Peter knew the foundation personally. And he quoted Isaiah's parable, attributing it to Jesus. Let's read 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 6. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. One of our elders circulated an article just yesterday that talked about the decline of Christianity in the United States. The article said that if the present trend continues, less than half of the population will be Christian in just a few more decades. 50 years ago, 90% of Americans identified as Christian. In 2020, that number had fallen to 64%. According to this research, at least statistically speaking, only half of my grandchildren will be Christian. No, that cannot be. That cannot be. So as I'm reading this article and thinking that, just kind of spiraling about the future generations of the church, the future generations of my family, another elder chimed in saying, the more the church gets persecuted, the more she grows. And he's right. He is really right about that. The church always grows in the midst of persecution. So listen to this quote from John Stott. He's writing about the parable of the two builders. In applying this teaching to ourselves, we need to consider that the Bible is a dangerous book to read and that the church is a dangerous society to join. For in reading the Bible, we hear the words of Christ and in joining the church, we say we believe in Christ. As a result, we belong to the company described by Jesus as both hearing his teaching and calling him Lord. 
Our membership therefore lays upon us the serious responsibility of ensuring that what we know and what we say is translated into what we do. So what would it look like if each of us built our life on a sure foundation, putting Jesus' words into practice? His word is a dangerous word. And church, we are a dangerous people when we do it. So I wonder what the next generations of our children and grandchildren would be if we just took our practice a little bit more serious. If we ensure that what we know and what we say is translated on what we do, for those that put God's word into practice, the prince of the power of the air, he can blow in your house and beat on it all day, but he cannot harm you. Get out there. Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Get out there and do good works that others might see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. How do you build a life that lasts? By putting Jesus' words into practice. Would you do it? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your grace, for the love that you've given us to the person and work of your beloved son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your obedience. You were the first to obey. You obeyed the will of the Father perfectly so that we who believe in you get covered by the blood that washes us clean, white as snow. Spirit, would you clear our minds of what culture wants to talk at us, for what culture wants to call us, would you clear our minds that the only thing that is on our mind is the words and the teachings of Jesus. And then God, would you direct our steps to walk faithfully as we follow you. Father, thank you for the wonderful things that are going on in the world, in the life of the church, in the life of this church, commissioning three goers today. Would you empower them? Would you send them to places, to people who haven't yet heard your word? That your word would be practiced in places that we don't even yet know about. People that don't even know your name might come to love and know you because of their faithful walking and obedience. Would you empower the works of their hands? Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to gather with the communion of the saints, to, to lift your name on high, the name above all names, and it's in that name that we pray today. Amen.